Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And we're trying to get everything adjusted here. <laughs> Honesty in broadcast. Yes, we Oh, there we go. Now there we've you go. got... Can you hear uh, yourself? Oh, now I've got everything Good. properly adjusted over here on this side of the console. Well, it's been <laughs> another big, big week in technology, of course. Uh, Facebook has, has another security breach in terms of their password protection. Um, Tesla has some problems with their autopilot. Really? Uh, yeah, it's uh, you know it's a little bit concerning. There are some there, there are quite a few uh, videos out on how it fails, and um, we're going to talk about the ten most common subject lines. On phishing emails, these are emails that try to trick you into giving up your information, and that's always a big problem. Yeah. And I've got a couple of things from 10 years ago on the show. 10 years ago? From 10 years ago. A couple of uh, items from 10 years ago uh, that we'll talk about. One was a self-adjusting glasses that you just buy the glasses, and then and then the user can just adjust the, uh, the magnification of themselves. And then... Why do we have fingerprints? Why are they different? And so we'll talk. Those are those are two topics from ten years ago. You no, know, it's funny you should mention that because with all with all of the uh, that's gone into moving into the new studio, our fourteenth anniversary. I think it may have passed us by. Oh, you, the fourteenth anniversary yeah. of you and me being together. I'll check on that while you're. Um, okay. Yeah. Very good. And this this week we're going to feature the man who is called the unluckiest man in technology. He's he was one of the original co-founders of Apple. He owned ten percent of it, but he got cold feet, so he sold his ten percent for twenty three hundred dollars. Jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now he's living in a trailer in Pahrump. Nevada. Nevada, which is near Area 51. <laughs> That's yes. <laughs> and of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Oh, he showed up today. Oh, yeah. We got an email from Dave in Elkridge. Hello, Doc and Jim. I'd like to set our Android and, I- and iPhone so that they only connect to the home Wi Fi and never to a public Wi Fi. Whether I'm in a restaurant or an airport or whatever, we've got 10 gigabytes of. Uh, of uh, data per month on the family plan. We never use it. So I just want to stay on cellular all the time because I don't trust the security of these public Wi-Fi networks. But I I don't want to turn off Wi-Fi because when I come home, I want it to automatically connect to Wi-Fi. So how can I do it so that I don't get this pop-up screen that wants me to connect to public Wi-Fi? And I, don't want, I certainly don't want to connect automatically to anything. Okay, this is what you need to do, Dave. You need to forget all the networks that you don't want to connect to. So if you connected to them in the past, 
uh, it will remember them. They'll automatically connect again. So what you want to do is go to all the networks that are on your phone, and you can click on that. You'll, you'll see a list of those networks that, you, that your phone remembers, and just click forget this network, and it will just forget the password. Then what you want to do, you want to set it up so that your phone will not automatically join networks, you know, give you a, a ask you whether they want to join a new network when it detects it. So you want to turn off the ask to join networks and you just go to settings and then go to Wi-Fi and you can, you can turn that off on either an Android phone or an, or, an, or an iPhone. Now, if you have Sprint as a carrier, you also have to turn off the Sprint connection optimizer because it will automatically connect. So if you turn off all of these things, the, the ask to join networks plus you forget all the other networks, you won't ever be bothered again, and you won't connect to it. I've done that, too, and it works like a charm. Excellent. Turn off all Sorry. That was Periscope. <laughs> I monitor Periscope back here so I can see it. Unfortunately, oh, I, it's coming through the board. I see. We got an email from Alan in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim, I've heard many people talk about tracing the route of packets on the Internet. Do you see how many hops there are to get to a particular destination? How's this accomplished? Love the show, Alan in Kansas. Well, Alan, it's done with something called TraceRoute. Now, TraceRoute is a computer network diagnostic tool for displaying the route or the path, uh, and it, it measures the packet delay as it goes through the network. So what, what happens is the history of the route is recorded as a round-trip time as the packet, is, it, it, as, as the packet goes to each successive host. So it will go to the first host, and it will ping it, and it will ask that host to send back a message to the originating IP address saying this is the name of the host and this is when the packet arrived. Then when the packet gets to the next host, it will ask for a ping and it will get and, and it will send back uh, a message with the name of the host and then the time that the ping was sent. And you'll then see each successive host as you're hopping through the network send back a ping signal which will tell them the, the the name of the server and the and the time that it was sent back, and that way you can get a you can get a path. So it's uh, it's very fun to do. I I do this a lot now. Tra the trace root command is available on a, on a number of modern operating systems. On the on the Apple Mac OS, it's available by opening Network Utilities and selecting Trace Route tab, as well as by typing Trace Route command into the terminal. On a Unix system such as FreeBSD or Linux, it's available as traceroute command in the terminal. In Microsoft Windows, it's called TraceRT, TraceRT, which would be TraceRT, T-A-R-C-E-R-T. All you need to do is open up the command window and type TraceRT, and then the and then the name of the um, then the, we the the name of the website that you want to trace track down, and it will just give you all of the hops as it goes through the network. We got an email from Alan in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim, I've heard many people talk about, uh, oh no, that's this, <laughs> that is the same one. Okay. What did you do here? I don't know what happened here, but I had the same email twice. It well, it was a really good it question. It must have been an early, early morning activity. What glass of wine were you on? Yeah, that was on my third glass had, on that go. one. That yeah, we got an email from Lynn in Ohio. Dear Doc and Jim, I recently bought a new TV with HDMI inputs. The salesman told me I had to buy these expensive cables that support HDMI 2.0. 
Now, do I really need to buy a new set of cables or won't my old cables work? Love the podcast, uh, Lynn in Ohio. Well, Lynn, there are four, there are um, several, there are only two cable designations that are legitimate and recognized by the HDMI organization. One is called high speed and one is called standard speed. That's it. There's no HDMI 2 specification for cables. The standard speed can handle bandwidth up to, for the for HD up to 1080i. You know that's the up to, that's up to 1080i. That that would be an HD signal. And high speed cables can handle up to a 4K bandwidth on for a 4K TV. So uh, if you if you you probably have a 4K TV, it says you got a new TV. So you you do want to get the high speed cables. Now there's a pretty good chance that your old cables will work just fine with 4K, even if they're standard speed. So what I would do, and because since HDMI is a digital standard, it either works or it doesn't work. So what I would do, I'd take your old cables, plug them in, see how they work. And if they work, boom, you've got it. Now, if you purchased your cables before 2009, they may not support the bandwidth. But if you bought them since 2009, I'm pretty certain that they're going to work for you. Now, by the way, the only specs out there relate to the hardware uh, that is being connected. The the receiver and the other gear have to support the standard. So like HDMI 1.4, that that came out in 2009. That supports 4K video, HDMI Ethernet. It it supports audio return channel, which will connect to the uh, speakers, ARC, as well as 3D over HDMI. Now, the reason that cables made after 2009 will probably work for you is because the 2009 standard, HDMI 1.4, supported 4K video. Then they came out with HDMI 2.0 in 2013. That supports 2K at 60 frames per second. And they came out with HDMI 2.0A in 2015, and that supports high dynamic range video. So the only specs are on the hardware, not on the cable. So just get a high-speed cable, and you'll be just fine. We got an email from Barbie in Reston. Dear Tech Talk, I've got a MacBook Pro, and I love this computer, but I'm required to run some software for my work that only supports Windows. What are my options? Love the show, Barbie in Reston. Well, your best option is to use a virtual machine to run the Windows application on a Mac without rebooting. Now, for maximum performance, particularly for gaming, you should use a dual boot system, but it sounds to me like you got business software applications, and you don't need super bandwidth, so I'd say the virtual machine is your best bet. Now, the virtual machine allows you to install Windows or any other operating system in a window on your Mac laptop. The Windows program thinks it's running on a real computer, but actually it's running inside of a piece of software on your Mac that's been configured to look like the hardware. It's called a virtual machine. Now, you need a Windows license to install Windows on the virtual machine, if you already got a product key, you can just download the Windows. You can install it for free and then put in the uh, put in the product key. Now, two popular virtual machine programs for the Mac are Parallels and VM Fusion. Each of these are paid programs, so you'll have to buy both the Windows license and the copy of the virtual machine license. Now, if you want a completely open source virtual machine, you can get VirtualBox for Mac, but its 3D graphics support and Mac operating system integration are not as good. So I'd recommend you spring for the, um, for the paid versions, either Parallels or VMware. Now, you can try out both of these, Parallels or VMware, 
as a free trial to see how you like it before you buy it. Now, installing Windows as a real operating system for your Mac is a good idea if you want to play games. So when you install Windows on your Mac, you'll be able to use either you'll be able to use Windows application. It'll run right on the Mac. Now the good thing is the new Macs will actually support Windows directly. But if you want to actually have both the Windows operating system available as well as the Mac operating system available, you need to have a dual boot system. So you want to use Apple's Boot Camp. And what you do is only one operating system can run at a time. So whenever you start up, Boot Camp will take over and it will say, do you want to load the Mac operating system or the Windows operating system? And then you pick the one that you want. The nice thing is you're running, you know, Windows natively, so you've got great speed for gaming. But I don't think you need that complexity because you're not running games. We got an email from Carol in Manassas. Dear Doc and Jim, what is the Mirai botnet? And how can I protect my devices? Carol in Manassas. Well, the Mirai botnet was first discovered in 2016 when it took over, when it actually uh, infected over 500,000 Internet of Thing devices. That would be like, you know, routers or webcams, anything connected to the Internet. Uh, and they used that to create a huge uh, distributed denial of service attack around the internet and they just brought down huge websites with their distributed denial of service attacks where they had all these botnets focused on one website and they just overwhelmed it. By 2019, Mirai has been tweaked and updated to handle additional target hardware. In particular, they're targeting enterprise links because they want to have access to higher bandwidth and that gives them more firepower for their distributed denial of service botnet attacks. This variant of Mariah continues to attack consumer routers, though, as well as cameras and other connected devices. Now, the creators of Mariah botnet software actually were arrested. They pleaded guilty. They were given probation. And for a time, Mariah was shut down. But it turns out other people got the code, tweaked it, and released it again. So now it's active again. It uses known exploits, uh, that uh, like it, it uses, say, um, default credentials to log on, you know, that are, that are just assigned by the manufacturer. And a lot of people don't change those things. They also, it also takes advantage of some bugs in, these, in the software. So you always want to, A, update the firmware on your, on your device and update uh, any software on your device. And you need to go to the manufacturer to get that done. And you want to change your administrative credentials, that's username and password, as soon as possible. And do not use the, um, the, the, the password, the, the username and password that was assigned by the manufacturer because Mariah knows that. And if your manufacturer stopped releasing new firmware updates or if the administrative credentials are hard-coded into the hardware, you probably should consider replacing the device. There are a number of of poorly constructed devices out of China that are that way. So that's all you have to do to avoid Mirai because you don't want to help, you don't want to participate as, as a member of one of these big distributed denial of service botnet attacks. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. And we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. Oh, by the way, Doc, the date. 
have to turn your mic back on. The date was March 11th, 2007, Time Change Weekend. Wow. That was our first show together here on Federal News Radio. Okay. So happy 12th anniversary, uh, posthumously, or whatever, okay. in reverse, or whatever. Very good. I'm having trouble with English this morning. <laughs> Andy, there you go. All right. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM. 103.5 FM HD2 and 103.9 FM HD2. You can watch us do the show from our brand new studios in Friendship Heights, Maryland by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Ronald Gerald Wayne. He was a co-founder of Apple Computers along with Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs. But he got cold feet soon after Apple was set up, and he sold his 10% stake for $2,300. He's viewed as the unluckiest man in technology. Now, Ronald Gerard, Gerard Wayne was born May 17, 1934, in Cleveland, Ohio. He trained as a technical draftsman at the School of Industrial Arts in New York. In 1956, he moved to California. In 1971, he decided to start a company, so he started a, a slot machine sales business. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he actually modified slot machines. He had, he had 12 patents relating to slot really? machines. So, uh, but he was, he was not a good businessman. The, the company failed. As you're about to find out. And he realized that he was a better engineer than a businessman, so he decided just to go back to engineering. In 1976, Ronald Wayne built the internal corporate documentation systems at Atari. You know, and this is, at that time, Atari was only three years old. And that's where, actually, two, two other guys worked at Atari with him. And their names were Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. How about that? They were both at Atari. Now, 
So Jobs and Wozniak, they were always talking about the future of computers and how computers are going to change everyone's life. And they had these big debates. And so, uh, you know, Ron, Ron would sit and sit around and talk with them about it. So one night he invited them over to his house and he said, well, let's just talk about this. And they sat around drinking beer, talking about the futures of computers. And at that time, sitting in Ron's house, Steve Jobs proposed founding a computer company. And it would be led by Wozniak and Jobs, and uh, but then Wayne would be the business manager, and which and they, he wasn't very good at. No, but but it, but listen, Steve. But they really were impressed because he had actually started a company. Ah, and they hadn't. They had never started a company, and and he was actually an old guy. He was forty-one. Oh wow! And they were twenty-two and uh, and twenty-three. No, okay, there you go. And so and so, what they what what Jobs proposed? He says, "Look, will uh, Steve uh, Steve Jobs will get forty-five percent, and Wozniak could get forty-five percent, and then Wayne uh, Ron went Ron Wayne would get the would get ten percent." And they said, look, when there's a disagreement between the two Steves, then, uh, you know, Ron Wayne could break the tie. That, that's what they were thinking. Uh-huh. So Ron Wayne, since he was the, a super, uh, you know, super businessman, he wrote the partnership agreement mm-hmm. for the original Apple. He wrote it. He, they, you know, they didn't have money for a lawyer, so he was the lawyer. And then the three of them— <laughs> But he wasn't fa- a lawyer, was he? No. <laughs> he wasn't a lawyer, but he, but he wrote the partnership agreement. So— April 1st, 1976, they founded Apple Computer. I mean, it's funny. It's on, on April Fool's Day is when they actually founded mm-hmm. it. And um, then Jobs, uh, Steve Jobs, secured a $15,000 line of credit to buy products and materials to, you know, fulfill their first order by the Byte Shop, which, which had ordered, you know, quite a few of these computers. And they had, they had to borrow money for the parts to build the computers. Now the problem is the bite shop had a reputation of really being of slow rolling their vendors. So they weren't actually sure when they would get their money after they delivered the computers. <laughs> um, this bothered Ron Wayne. Now, but he he worked with them on it and he actually uh, designed the first Apple logo. He was in addition to being a um, a, a lawyer, <laughs> Not. <laughs> Lawyer, not. Businessman, not. not. <laughs> he, he was also a graphic artist, so he designed the first Apple logo, and he wrote the first Apple One manual. So he was actually actively engaged in, in, in the launch of the technology. We talked about this. What was the first logo? Do you remember? No, I can't remember. All right, I'll look it up. You check that out. Okay. okay. Now, here's the deal. When, that, when Steve Jobs got the line of credit of $15,000... All three were personally liable. So if they were unable to pay back the $15,000, the banks would come after the three of them. Well, this was a problem. Ron Wayne actually had a house and he had assets. It turned out that Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak had nothing. So Ron Wayne said, wait a minute here. If if we can't pay back that $15,000 loan... I'm going to get stuck paying it all back because you guys have got nothing. Mm-hmm. He said, I've already been in one failed business. I, I'm, I'm a little worried about that. So he was worried about the risk of the venture. And since only his assets were really going to be, you know, eaten up if they failed. Now, he said he felt Apple would ultimately be successful, but he still would be bumps along the way. And they, the banks may come after us. He said he could simply just not risk it since he'd already failed in one business. 
So on April 12, 1976, remember, the, the company was started April 1st, 1976. So on April 12, 1976, he made the fateful decision to sell his 10% of the stock back for $800. <laughs> now, a year later, Wayne got an additional $1,500 to forfeit any additional claims, because I think the two Steves thought, well, maybe it would look like we cheated him. So in order to sign an additional agreement that he would not have any additional claims on Apple, they gave him an additional $1,500 a year later. You see, when they actually, when they actually bought it, they, they, didn't, they didn't have $2,300. You know, probably $800 is all they had to buy him out. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so he received a total of $2,300 for his 10%. Now... By August of 2011, Apple had a market cap of 35 of had a he had, had, a, had a market cap of 350 billion. So his stake would have been 35 billion, you know, uh, by uh, you know 2011. By I just looked up the market cap, uh, you know, you know this morning, and the market cap now is around 900 billion, mm. and his share would have been 90 billion. Oh my gosh. Now, the market cap a year ago was about a, a trillion, but it's gone down $100 billion in the last year because iPhone X is not selling. Mm -hmm. Now, Wayne says he doesn't regret selling the stock and that he believes he made the, the best decision with the information available to him at the time. I don't, don't believe it. When, he says, well, I don't regret that I sold the stock. I, I, I don't buy that at all. Now, Wayne resisted Jobs' attempts to get him to return – and uh, Ron Wayne stayed at Atari until 1978. Then he joined Lawrence Livermore Labs and later an electronics company in Salinas, uh, California. Now, he went on to run a stamp shop in Milpitas, Mil, Mil, Milpitas California. What is that? Milpitas, California? I don't I think, think you're right. Milpitas, Mil California. Milpitas or something. Milpitas, California mm -hmm. in the late 70s. But... He had a number of break-ins and into a stamp shop, so finally he decided to just move the whole operation to Nevada. Now, he's now retired and living a quiet lifestyle in Pahrumpf, Nevada. He lives in a mobile home selling stamps and rare corns. I mean, Pahrumpf, I mean, Pahrumpf Nevada, that's, it's, that's like a bedroom the, community of Las Vegas. It's in the desert, and it's on the border of Area 51. Yeah, it is, mm -hmm. it's desolate out it there. It is desolate, uh, and, uh, it's, and it's, it's mobile homes is what it is. Yeah, it's desolate. It's, it's like a bedroom community for Las Vegas. People who can't afford to live in the city, they live out there in trailers. Mm -hmm. It is desolate. I've been out there. I, I wanted to go out and see what— Were you looking for a vacation land or something? No, I, I, just, I was just <laughs> curious about this Area 51. It, Were it, you really? Okay, but this is the deal. Let me tell you, it is not worth— driving out to well there's nothing to see but there's, chain link fence right there's nothing to see there's nothing to did see did you try to scale the fence no i didn't but if i would have my drone with me i may have tried droning it oh i'd never have seen you again <laughs> the show would have ended some time ago now he holds a dozen patents mostly related to slot machines mm -hmm. he's never owned an apple pro he never bought an app he didn't own an apple product wow. until 2011 and he, and he didn't buy that Apple product. It was given to him. He was given an iPad, too. <laughs> now, Wayne published a couple of books. He published this first book was Adventures of an Apple Founder. Mm -hmm. He published that in July of 2011. And then he, and then he uh, uh, published another book in October of 2011 called The Insolence of Office, a socioeconomic treatise. I don't know. I, I think he must be... I think he must 
bitter? I yeah, I think he's I think bitter. He's bitter. I think he's bitter. Now, what's interesting, uh, Wayne told Steve Jobs that he was gay in February of 1974, while both men were employees at Atari. And Steve Jobs, in his in in his in his autobiography, he said that that actually Wayne was the first gay person he ever knew. Hmm. So it it sort of like was a momentous event for Steve Jobs as he thought back over his life. Now Wayne actually doesn't have much many good things to say about Steve Jobs. He said he was colder than an ice cube and ruthless at times. Well, so we know there, that. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Ronald Gerard. Wayne. So I found the first logo, and okay. I sent it to your Gmail if you're logged okay. in over there. Yeah. It's called the Newton Crest, and it and it, it, it existed from 1976 until 1976. It wasn't <laughs> around for long. It is this highly uh, stylized, it almost looks like something you'd see carved in wood, of Isaac Newton sitting under an apple tree with an apple dangling over his head. And uh, then after that, they went to the uh, the apple with the bite out of it, and the first one had the low, the uh, the rainbow uh, motif on it. Yeah. So, so that's that was uh, you can see why that logo, if you've got it up there on your phone. Oh, it is ugly. It's why that it it's, is. It's ugly. too complicated. I mean, it's 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 well done. It's just too complicated. I, you know. Yeah, it's, it's Newton sitting under an apple tree, and they've got this sort of banner wrapped around yes. it. Yes. And it and it looks like it's carved out of wood. Boy, that exactly, is exactly right. Looks like it's from the 16th century. It doesn't look very high tech at all. Does it exactly? No, it doesn't. It Did, does not. Didn't you? Didn't at one point we talked about the, the where the name Apple came from, and there was some speculation that the bite out of the apple was a nod to uh, uh, Alan Turing. Yeah, that's what they. That's what people like to think. The conspiracy I, theory. You don't, the you're conspir- not buying that, right? No, not really. There you go. Not really. All right, there, there you we go. go. Everything you want to know about Ron Wayne. And uh, I hope you're paying attention because something out of that will be turned into a question and you could win free lunch. Coming up when we play the pop quiz here on Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2 and 103.9 FM HD2. Watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. 
Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can sit down now. We've got to get get on with the... They're in bleachers. It looks like they're standing. With the Classroom of the Airways. Ah. Not simply a radio show. We actually teach material over the airways. I don't. Now, earlier in this... And we're going to test whether you've been listening by issuing a pop quiz. Mm -hmm. If you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get an A-plus for today's show. Plus, you'll win tickets to fine dining at one of the Stratford University dining rooms. If the pop quiz happens every week, is it really a pop quiz? Well, it... If you have, a, if you can remember more than a week, it is not really a pop quiz. <laughs> I remember more than a week. <laughs> if you got okay. a short, you have a problem with short-term memory, then, then it, it is, is a pop, pop quiz. quiz. <laughs> All right. Okay. Earlier in the show, we talked about Ron Wayne, Ron Gerald Wayne. He, of course, is one of the co-founders of Apple. But he got cold feet, and he sold his 10% stake back to Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. How much was he paid for that 10% stake? If you know the answer to today's question and you'd like the prize, well, as they say, you've got to play to win. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you'd like to test your luck from Canada... Call us on the wild card line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else, may call us on the international line, 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, and if you're calling from uh, near Area 51, near Pahrump, <laughs> Nevada, you can reach us on Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1. And your call will be forwarded to the studio free of charge. Mr. Adjunct Professor for Prize Distribution and Crowd Control standing by to take your calls. So, dial now. There you go. Okay, one of the best ways to get into a company's network is to trick people to giving you their password. And they call that phishing. Mm -hmm. P-H-I-S-I-N-G. And you trick them to doing things. And um, Barracuda Networks analyzed 360,000 phishing emails over a three-month period to see what they had in common. And here are the top 12 um, subject lines in these phishing emails. Number one, request. Number two, follow-up. Then urgent, important. Are you available? Are you at your desk? Payment status. Hello. Purchase. Invoice date. Direct deposit, expenses, and payroll. So it, they found out that they tended to get more responses when people thought it was something urgent relating to work, and it might affect money. And so all of these things had to do that. So to avoid your employees getting falling victim to phishing attacks, you really should set up the DMARC authentication. That's domain-based message authentication and reporting conformance. This avoids domain name spoofing. So they can't pretend like there's somebody within the company sending it to you. Then you want to, uh, on all of your accounts, 
deploy, you know, multi-factor authentication. That means you put in a password and then you get an email, you got a you get another code. That would be two-factor authentication. That gives an extra layer of protection. And finally, you need to train your employees so they won't click on that clickbait and fall for the phishing trick. Mm-hmm. Continue along, please. Okay, facial recognition is being used to track down criminals, and it is working. On Saturday, um, uh, in November 2017, a woman walked into Wilco Farm Store in Oregon, and she picked up a pair of $130,000, I mean $130 <laughs> Georgia boots. And she just popped them. Those are them. good boots. Yeah, those are good boots. And she, well, she, and she just, she had a big purse. She just stuck them in her purse and walked out. But 24 hours later, she turned herself into the Washington County Jail. And why did that happen? Why did that happen, Doc? Because they were using Amazon's recognition software. That's facial recognition software. And what the county sheriff, what they had done, they loaded up all the mug shots from anybody that had ever been in the county jail. So and then she'd been in the county jail. She's apparently she had apparently been to the county jail. She they, she had a mugshot down Recidivist. there. Recidivist. And so then what what happened was after they loaded in all the pictures that were in their files, they just took the picture from the uh, from from the webcam in the store, and they uploaded it to the Amazon recognition software, and it just went through all of those things and it pulled out two, two or three suspects. They identified her quickly. In the old days. They would have to go through books of pictures. It might take them days to figure out who was going to do it. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about this recognition software, you can't trick it by changing hairstyle or putting on glasses because it it maps the distances between different points on the face. And so it's you, you know disguises don't really work that well. Now recogni- that Amazon uh, introduced recognition software in in uh, 2000 2016. And they analyze features of the face, and they map the distances. And it's really been an effective technology. And this is being used by more and more police departments to create their own image recognition database. And it works really well. Excellent. Hey, we got somebody on the line okay. to like to talk to us. Let us go to line two. And uh, Richard, I think you're there. If you could turn your phone down, that'd be great. Richard? Hello, Richard. Uh, okay, we're having a little. <laughs> <laughs> Seems we, we've gotten the Kmart radio network. <laughs> Richard, are you there? That's very odd. Why are we odd not uh, listening to Richard? Uh, okay, so let's do this. Doc, why don't you do something else? Andrew's going to talk. come in here and see what I'm doing wrong. You're going to come in. We'll figure out what's going on. Well, let's talk about there's something about hidden webcams in hotel rooms and in Airbnb rooms. This has become a problem. This has become a problem. Yeah, that's become a problem. That, that, too. Has, become a, that has become a problem. Mm-hmm. I think we should use the sneaker net to get the information sneaker in here. <laughs> yes. Okay. So yeah. anyway, uh, finish uh, finish your thought while we so, try to do this. Off so the people air. are trying to are worried about webcams in hotel rooms. There was uh, this last week. There was uh, they discovered a network of sixteen hundred webcams that were in hotel rooms that were basically streamed to a pay-per-view site, and people could look at any one of these webcams, what was going on in these hotel rooms, and the people in the hotel room had no idea. Mm. And there have also been cases of Airbnb, uh, of webcams in Airbnbs that, you know, are looking at the wrong thing. And so now the question is, how can you detect a webcam in your room? That's the question. Because now people are saying, hey, I don't want a webcam in my hotel room or in 
in my bedroom at, a, at an Airbnb, so I want to detect it. Okay, so this is the steps you can go through to, to detect the webcam. First of all, you can just use common sense. If, like, there's a smoke detector right above the bed, there are motion sensors in odd places, clock radios, you know, plants, anything that sort of looks like it just was stuck there for no good reason, that's, that's, a, that's a, a, um, a good indication. Now, it turns out that a lot of these webcams, they will actually, if the lights are out, they've got infrared lights that, that turn on and flood the room, but you can't see them because they're infrared. Mm-hmm. So what you can do, the first test you can do is that you can turn off all the lights, and it, well, it turns out that your that your smartphone will actually detect infrared. And so what you want to do is turn out all the lights, and you want to look around for infrared. Now it turns out on the iPhone, the the camera on the back side has an infrared filter, so it won't work. So you have to use the the front facing camera, and you just walk around using the front facing camera, and you can, and you can see if you can pick up infrared. Now you can test your smartphone whether it picks up infrared. What you want to do is you get like an infrared remote control and see if you can see the little infrared light in that infrared remote control. That's the that's the first thing that you can do. Check for that infrared. Now the second thing you you can do is use is look for a reflection off of the optics. Have you ever seen, you know, you take a picture, you get that red eye effect where the, yes. where, where the eyes just reflect back. So it turns out that light goes into the lens, bounces off the retina, comes back out and is refocused, and it basically goes back to the same point where the light came from. So you, with the light still out, you can turn on the flashlight of your smartphone and you can go around and look for any any retro reflections that it might be around the room, and you and you'll be able to see a, see an optical system quite easily that way. Just walk around with the lights out, and look for any retro reflection coming back to you. And you want to put the phone very close to your to your eyes so that the retro reflection comes right back to your eyes. And that's a very very good way to look for an optical system. Now you can also because a lot of these systems, especially in Airbnb, they'll they'll hook the webcam up to the uh, the Wi-Fi network. So once you're logged onto the Wi-Fi network, you can do a scan of every of anything that's on the Wi-Fi network, and quite frequently the webcam webcams are you you, you can identify them because they'll just be named webcam. And uh, and a nice program to use is Thing F I N G F I N G, and you just you download that. Once you're logged on to the Wi-Fi network, it will scan the network and give you a list of all the IP addresses that are there and the name of the device, and so you can see if there's a a, a webcam, uh, you know, on the network. Now you can also it turns out that webcams also emit um, <clears throat> webcams and also microphones emit magnetic fields. They also have some electromagnetic interference. So there are several hidden camera apps that you can download, and they will use the magnetic sensors in the smartphone as well as the electromagnetic sensors in the smartphone, and you can walk around the room. Now these hidden camera apps are available from two ninety nine to four ninety. You got to pay for those. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, I don't think it's worth it. I think this flashlight is probably the best way to go. And if you re- now, if you really are worried about something super sophisticated, they, the, the webcams don't connect to um, the Wi-Fi network. They actually have their own radio frequency, and they send it out to somebody else. There's a, there's a, there's a radio frequency receiver someplace else. This would be more like for, for high-tech spying. But you could buy an RF scanner. That's around $150. I'm thinking that's overkill because we're, we're talking about kind of amateurish stuff going right. on here. 
I wouldn't worry about that. But those are just a few of the things you can do to make certain that you don't have a webcam in your hotel room. Okay, let's do this about the pop quiz. <laughs> okay. Um, Richard from Silver Spring, why don't you hang up and call us back and see if we can reestablish communication and get rid of the Kmart Radio Network music that was going on there. And we'll try after the break to talk to you. And if not, we'll just give you the prize anyway because you have the right answer. <laughs> You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. <laughs> Heard every Saturday on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2 and 103.9 FM HD2. By the way, Richard, the number is 877-936-9333. You can watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Let's do this. Now, okay. Andrew, we think we have Richard back. So Andrew's kind of getting him all into the system. Wait a minute. Okay, well, why don't you pick an item here talk about it. And, okay. Um, and then we'll go to Richard after after that item. Tesla has an autopilot steering problem. Now, new dash cam videos showing the Tesla Model 3 with the autopilot switched on veering toward a highway divider. Now, the video recorded uh, this just last weekend was shared on Reddit. Shows the Tesla's semi-autonomous autopilot mode correctly avoiding... The divider several times before on the final run it steered into the divider. Apparently, when a when a two-lane road goes into a four-lane road, sometimes the Tesla thinks the 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 the, the barrier or the, the grassy area in the middle is actually another lane. Oh no, that's a problem. And it, and it directs people directly into the wow. barrier. And so He's been actually watching this, and he's been reporting it back to Tesla, and and so they'll do an update, and then it behaves differently. Mm-hmm. Now, why this is significant? There were two crashes where people were killed if they ran directly it. into a barrier oh. because they believed that it was really autopilot, and the problem is that every time Tesla does a software update. It behaves differently in different mm-hmm. areas, so you can't just because it's worked a hundred times in the past doesn't mean it will continue working as they keep doing the updates. So, 
Um, I mean, one reason that Tesla has these issues, they don't have LIDAR, they don't have laser radar. Almost all the other, um, you know, self-driving cars have um, have LIDAR, laser radars, and so they get range data. And the Tesla only has passive sensors, no active sensors, and it, and it makes the... Uh, it makes the detection problem more difficult. Okay. Let's give this another shot. Let's go to line one. This is Richard in Silver Spring. Richard, are you there? Yes, I'm here. There you oh, are. very Excellent. good. How are you, okay. Richard? I uh, got through it. the magic. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> I didn't know, believe me, there's no magic. <laughs> okay, earlier in the show, we talked about Ronald Gerard Wayne. He, of course, was co-founder of Apple, and he sold his shares, his 10% shares, back to the two Steves. How much... Was he paid for those shares? $2,300. That is correct. You are the correct uh, answerer, as it were. (laughs) Hang on a second. Here, we're going to send you back to Andrew. He will take your information and uh, send you out the prize. Thanks for listening today to Tech Talk Radio. You, too, are watching. You are listening to Tech Talk Radio. Heard every Saturday on the Federal News Network on uh, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, and 103.9 FM HD2. You can indeed watch us by downloading the Periscope device to your uh, app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. Some people, Doc, are actually doing that. And it has been noted that you're now standing up. Yes. So you can watch exciting things like when we stand exactly. up or sit exactly. down. Exactly. When I walk out of the studio <laughs> to get something on the printer. <laughs> By following us on uh, on Periscope at WFED Tech Talk. We'll be back in just one moment. Stand by for more Tech Talk Radio. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Let's go back on memory lane. Exactly. Ten years ago, we talked about adjustable glasses. Okay, in March 23rd, 1985, Josh... Silver, a professor of physics, that's why I like this guy, at Oxford University, wondered whether you might be able to make a a pair of glasses that could be adjusted without the need for specialized equipment or even an optometrist. Like adjusting your your prescription. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If that were possible, he thought that to make glasses that were self-adjustable, 
that they would and they allow the wearer to adjust it till they looked right, that would be affordable and it could bring glasses to millions of people who otherwise could not afford them. So we embarked on his quest to offer glasses to a billion people in the world's poorest countries by 2020. That was his goal. Already, 30,000 pairs of glasses that are self-adjustable have been distributed to 1,500 countries. When I say already 30,000 pairs, that was 10 years ago, of course, Mm -hmm. because we are walking down memory lane. Okay, and we're walking down memory lane because you had three glasses of wine and you (laughs) ran out of stuff to talk about? (laughs) No, I just, you know, I was just remembering just all the good times, Jim. All the good times. (laughs) Now... Silver devised a pair of glasses that rely on the principle that the fatter the lens, the more powerful the lens it becomes. Mm-hmm. So what he did, he made plastic lenses that were two clears, that were two sacks that were filled with a clear fluid. And each of the sacks was connected to a small syringe, which, which was attached to either side of the spectacles. So the adjuster could simply dial on the syringe to add or reduce the amount of fluid inside of the lenses. And it could change the power of the lenses automatically. So what they would do, they would just give everybody to get the same kind of glasses. They would put them on and they would do the adjustment until they had exactly the right, you know, diopter that they needed for their eyes. Mm-hmm. And then once it was set, they would simply screw a small screw and then seal it, seal the syringe, and then the syringe would be removed. So it was such a simple idea that they found that people with very little guidance were able to perform their, you know, adjust their glasses, their own prescription. It was a good idea. So I went so back. So what happened? Well, I don't know. I went to the website. The website is adaptive-icare.com. Adaptive-icare.com. Right, I, I went out there and, and it still came up. And he said he's still working on this distribution of glasses well, to the world. But uh, But it, to me, it looks like the website is inactive. But there, there is an email address there. So if you're interested in pursuing this or helping him out, you can go to adaptive-icare.com <laughs> okay. and you can email him and see what's going to happen I there. I am now on that website. There's very little activity. And there's very little activity. But I can tell you within two seconds why this isn't going to work. These are the dumbest looking glasses <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. They look like Ollie glasses times a thousand, right? <laughs> yeah. They're huge. They are huge. They're huge. These are not exactly fashion frames. No, I think I, I think you're right. But they're self-adjustable. So what? They look like <laughs> hell. They really look awful. I know. I know. Okay. Well, thanks for that stroll down. Okay. Lane. Now That's I have another stroll. <laughs> I got another stroll down memory lane okay. here. We answered the vexing question 10 years ago. <laughs> why? Why do we have fingerprints? Doc. Why do we have fingerprints? Have you ever gotten up and wondered that why in the world do we have fingerprints? And I mean, uh, you know, it's not for identification, I not think, for fingerprint ID. Honestly, I think they would have have have, had, have to have had some uh, substances uh, taken in order to think. Well, well some researchers have- uh, ten years ago at John Hopkins University found a purpose for uh, for uh, you know fingerprints. They help you feel things more accurately. Uh, it turns out that when you run your fingers with the grooves on your fingers over a, a particular thing with texture, you feel vibrations. And the fingerprints allow the surface to transmit vibrations to you and it gives you and it gives you a more sensitive touch. Now, you'd you don't want it so it only rubs in one direction. So you want to be able to rub in any direction to feel a vibration. So uh-huh. that's why the fingerprints are are circular. So that no matter which direction you go, you'll get the vibrations. Okay, so here's a question. 
There are people that have tried to take their fingerprints off so they're not detectable because of their, they're the criminal element. Yeah. I wonder how this affects their ability to um, to, to, f- to feel things. They're, they're, they're going to lose the good vibrations. <laughs> And there we go. There so go. there's why we have swirls in our fingerprints. And another walk down, down memory, memory lane. lane. Yes. Now, let's get back to the to the present day now. Please do. There are new rules of communicating in the digital world. Mm-hmm. You know, connecting with people is a lot easier, but, but you have to follow the correct rule. Yes, you do. There's always otherwise, a big but. Otherwise, people will be upset with you. For instance... Do not randomly FaceTime people. Oh, yeah. If you want to FaceTime, you must either send a text or call first. You could catch people in a variety of compromising situations. And they they just answer it and don't realize it's FaceTime, and there they are in the buff. (laughs) Or in the can. Or on the can (laughs) or somewhere. Okay, the other thing is when you text, never just answer with one word. Like, never say, okay. Or LOL. Those are conversation killers. It you also seems, um, I don't know, keep going. I'm, I'm oh, losing... no. If you respond with one word, you're basically saying, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Passive aggressive. Yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. just like shutting down the conversation. Exactly. So you've got to say more than that, not just one word. Very important. Now, if someone you know comments on your photo or video that you posted... You should respond to them and say thank you. You should just not yes, ignore it. I think that's common courtesy. Okay. If someone communicates with you in one form of communication, like by email or by, you know, WhatsApp or by Skype, you should respond to them in the same form. I agree. So, like, if they email you, do not you don't FaceTime them back. You email them back. And also, this is really bad. You know, if you post something on Facebook, don't like your own posts. That's really People hate that. That's just that is tacky. Yes, awful. Even tackier is do not ask people to like your stuff. Oh, that's awful. Do not ask for likes. Doesn't that automatically happen when you start a page on Facebook, or do you have to actually enable that command? Yeah, you have to. You have to enable the command, and you don't. But you don't want to ask for likes. And the other thing is, if somebody sends something to you, respond right away. Don't take hours. Like if somebody sends you a text message, answer it right back. Don't take hours and hours to respond because people don't like that. No, they don't. And also, when you call someone, you don't actually have to leave a voicemail because they'll see your number. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And we want you to go to the Stratford University website. That'd be www.stratford.edu. Check out all of our programs in healthcare, culinary arts, hospitality, IT, software engineering, business. And tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.